Good morning, Grace. Well, my wife, Raylynn, and I have spent our past week, probably like many of you have, watching the Olympics. We have loved watching the Olympics. It's been so neat for us to see these top-tier athletes from all over the world uh, descend upon Rio and compete in these sports that I only ever watch once every four years. It, it's been such a sweet time. We love the Olympics at our house. Um, it's been neat having uh, our uh, national pride stoked by people like Michael Phelps, um, Simone Biles, Katie Ledecky. It's been good for me personally to have my Alabama strong pride stoked by Karani James, who's dominating the 400 meters. Um, it, it's, a, it's a neat event to watch every single year. Well, my wife, Raylynn, as we were watching the other night, she made an observation that I found so insightful and interesting. She said that it's crazy how people from all over the world, from every corner of the globe, uh, have union in these various sports at the Olympic Games. People from all over the world value and excel in swimming or track and field or gymnastics. There's a certain unity they share in these sports. And not only that, but all over the world, similar language is used for these sports. The same rules apply. The same training techniques apply. So that uh, every So often these athletes can gather together and they can all compete in the same pool or on the same field or on the same mat. It's just incredible the sort of union that they share. And as I thought about this, as I thought about this insightful sort of comment, it really helps me to realize that we as a race, as a human people, share a bond much more common than the fact that some of us play the same sport and have the same rules and use the same language. The reality is, is that every single person in this world is a person who has been created in the image of God. Every ethnicity, every race, every person who exists on this world has been created uniquely uh, in Christ's image for God, that they might worship God, that they might adore God, that they might cherish God, love God, and know and enjoy him forever. We share a bond so much more significant than what is happening at the Olympics. Yet, we know the statistics even though we are a people who are created for the glory of God, created to worship and know God, there are over 5 billion people on our world that have not worshiped God in spirit and truth. People who do not know God. People who do not walk with God. Over 5 billion people. This morning we are going to consider the global mission of the church. The global mission of the church, a mission that Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert define as the mission of the church is to go into the world and make disciples by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the spirit and gathering these disciples into churches that they might worship the Lord and obey his commands now and in eternity to the glory of God the Father. 
This is a God-sized mission. In fact, to speak of the mission of the church is truly to speak of the mission of God, which he has graciously invited the church to participate in so that the, mission, the, the church's mission becomes God's mission. God's mission is a global mission. It is a dangerous mission. Hudson Taylor, who popularized the term Great Commission, said about this mission, about this commission, that it is to be obeyed rather than considered. Regardless of who you are, regardless of where you live, regardless of your financial situation, regardless of your family history or situation, participation is required. Obedience is required to participate in this great mission. And so today, our topic is the topic of great commission living. We'll be continuing our series, The Habits of Grace, by considering God's mission and how it is a means of grace for us in our lives. And so we'll frame our time spent in the word this morning with a question. Why do we devote ourselves to great commission living? Why do we, a people, the church, followers of Christ, why do we participate in the mission of God? We'll see three reasons, which will be our three points this morning. First, because God is worthy of worship. He is worthy of worship. Missions begin with God. He is the fuel and the reason for missions. And so we start here with God himself. Second, because God uses our participation in the church or our our participation in the mission to build up the church to build up the church. We act as a means of grace empowered by the spirit to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and to build up God's church. And last, because God uses our participation in his mission to grow us, to grow us. And that's where we see that this is truly a habit of grace, a means of grace that we are to cultivate. And so this morning, Uh, In order to see these points, we're going to go to the Great Commission itself, Matthew 28. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me there, Matthew 28. And so we're aware Matthew 28 comes on the heels of Christ rising from the dead. In his resurrection, he comes and he visits his disciples one last time and he gives them a command to be obeyed, a commission that we'll see here in just a moment. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Let's read. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Once again, our first point this morning is that we devote ourselves to Great Commission living, to the mission of God, because God is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our adoration. He is worthy of our devotion and our love. Look at how this commission begins right here in verse 18. 
all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This becomes the basis for missions. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority, every bit of authority in heaven and on earth, the right and power to do whatever, to do anything has been given to a person, to Jesus Christ. And he's been given by God the Father. Philippians 2 says that because Christ humbled himself, humbled himself by taking on flesh, by clothing himself in humanity, because Christ humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above all names, that wherever we are, that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. There is no rival ruler. There is no rival authority. There is no person who can challenge Christ. No demon, no angel, no president, no people group can stand before God. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. This authority given to Jesus becomes the basis for the Great Commission. It's because of Christ, his person, his character, who he is, and because of his work, his life, his death, his resurrection, because of this, the Great Commission is given and possible. Missions is backed by the authority of Christ. What I want for us to see in this is that the mission of God begins with God himself. It begins with God himself. Matthew 28 doesn't begin with us. It doesn't begin with strategy or anything that we bring to the table. Rather, it begins with nothing other than the all-sufficient, worthy of worship God. We see this pattern all throughout the scripture. If we look at the missional psalm, Psalm 96, we can see this laid out. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the nations. Who is God? He is the worthy of singing a new song for God. He is a God of all glory, might, and salvation. And he is a God worthy of others coming and worshiping him. And now because he is that sort of God, we have the privilege of calling others to worship this glorious, mighty, saving God. Psalm 67 has the same pattern. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That your ways may be known on the earth, your saving power among all the nations. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And so we see the same thing. God has been gracious to us. He has blessed us. He has made his presence known to us in the person and the work of Jesus. It begins not with us, but with God and what he has done that the world may know him, that the nations might praise his holy name. In all of scripture, we see that God himself is the main character. No one else. God is the main character. He is the one who dwells in unapproachable light. He is the one whom the seraphims cry holy, holy, holy to. He is the author and initiator of salvation. He is the object of worship forever. Why do we participate in the Great Commission? Why is Great Commission living important? Because this is our God. This is our God. He is worthy of the nation's worship. And he is worthy of our participation in his mission. We begin with God. 
We begin with God and then we move to the absolute privilege of being able to participate in his mission. I think that's why David Platt says God does not include us in his mission because he needs us, but because he loves us. And in his mercy, he has invited us to be involved in a sovereign design for the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. God is our starting place. God is the one who is worthy of worship. He is there and he is good and gracious to therefore invite us into his mission. We have to get this right. We have to get this right. If we start anywhere else other than God, then we are robbing ourselves of the fuel of missions. This is our starting place. But, but this is also why missions exist. This is why missions exist. God is a worthy of God or a worthy of worship sort of God, but he is not worshiped on this earth. As the, the famous John Piper line goes, worship ex- or, uh, missions exist because worship doesn't. Once again, there are over 5 billion people on this earth who have not worshiped God in spirit and in truth. There are over 5 billion people who do not know the joy and the peace and the hope of knowing Jesus and walking with Jesus. There are over 5 billion people on this earth who are still under the wrath of God. What must we do? This is a daunting mission. This is a daunting number for us to consider. What must we do? Do we despair? Do we give up? This is too big. We simply can't do it. Run away. Do we resign ourselves to a world lacking in worship to God? Do we ignore? No. No. Being compelled by the glory of God, we participate. We give ourselves to his mission. Why? This leads to our second point this morning. We devote ourselves to great commission living, to the mission of God. We devote ourselves because God uses our participation to build up the church. God uses our participation to build up his church. We see this in verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Here we see God's wisdom and his goodness as he addresses the worship problem that exists in our world. He pursues the lost through the church. Therefore, therefore, in light of Christ. Uh, all, or his um, undeniable authority, the fact that he has all authority in light of his character, in light of his work, his work in his life and his death and his resurrection. Therefore, in light of Christ, make disciples. Make disciples. Here we see the what of Great Commission living. What do we do? The Great Commission lays it out for us. The central command that we see here is, is that we go and we make disciples. We make disciples. That's the command. We make disciples. We participate in the full process of discipleship. What does that mean? What does it mean to participate in the full process of discipleship? Jesus tells us we are told to make disciples and we do that by doing three things. By going, by baptizing, and by teaching. 
by going, by baptizing, and by teaching. These three things describe the ongoing active aspects of the process of discipleship. Where do we make disciples? Where do we make disciples? Wherever we are going, wherever we are. The the, uh, expectation is, is when Jesus gave this command to his disciples that they would be moving in and out throughout communities, through markets, through cities, through homes. And wherever they were going, they were to be making disciples of all nations. They were to be going wherever and they were to be carrying out this task. And in a similar way, we are, we are people who move throughout communities, move throughout markets, move throughout homes, move throughout workplaces. And wherever we are, we are to participate in this mission. And what do we do? What do we do as we are going? Well, we begin, we make, or we baptize. We go baptizing. That doesn't mean that we find people on the edge of lakes or swimming pools and go and dunk them down and baptize them. No, this means that we go and we proclaim the gospel that people might believe in Jesus, that conversion might take place, that salvation might happen. We want to see people be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved son. We want to see people go from enemies of God to beloved children of God. And so we go and we proclaim the gospel for conversion. And as a result of this, people are baptized, which signifies entry into the church or the people of God. We go and we seek to convert through bold proclamation. We go baptizing. But that's not all. That's not all. We don't go simply baptizing. We also go teaching. We make disciples by teaching. To disciple is to convert and to present mature in Christ. And we do this through the teaching of of all the scriptures, the full counsel of God. It's teaching others to die to self and to live to Christ. This is the mission. This is the mission. We are to be compelled by the holiness of God, the love of God, and moved to love God and love others so that wherever we go, we preach the gospel boldly for conversion and we preach the gospel boldly for sanctification or maturity in Christ. And this is to happen everywhere. It's to happen locally. It's to happen far off. Everywhere. But here in Matthew, we see that discipleship is to happen amongst all the nations. It's happened amongst all the nations. This is important. This isn't throwaway. We have to take note of this and recognize it. Luke and Acts say the same thing. Luke 24 says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Acts 1, 8 says, But you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God does not desire to be Lord merely of Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, just as he does not desire to be Lord merely of La Mirada and Fullerton. God is jealous for the nations. He is jealous for the people who live on this world. He desires for them to know him and enjoy him forever. So like he raised up Paul and Barnabas to be a light amongst the Gentiles, he has now raised up his church to go and make disciples of all nations. So what do we do? What do we do? This is a gigantic Task. This is a God-sized task. What do we do to be a people who regularly, intentionally, and practically make disciples? I 
asked our Grace partners how they would desire for us as a church to participate in the Great Commission. And our Grace partners, these wonderful people who are serving the Lord in all different sorts of contexts, they so wonderfully helped me and served me to fix my eyes on Christ as I was preparing for this particular message. But I think they served us as a church in giving us good practical ways that we might participate. So I'm gonna put a few before you. First, we recognize that nations, the nations have come to us. The nations have come to us. This is true of the United States as a whole, but this is especially true of Los Angeles. Los Angeles is one of the most ethnically and religiously diverse cities in the entire world, and it's only growing more and more so. In the past five years, LA has seen ethnic minorities from Asian and African countries come to the United States uh, in, grow, uh, in growing numbers. The growth has been significant. Absolutely significant. Do you know who lives in Asian and African countries? The lost. People who don't know Christ. M many of whom have never even heard the name Jesus and don't have access to the gospel. They have come to our backyards. And so now we are rubbing shoulders with these people. We are working alongside people who do not know Jesus. Our, our kids go to school with people who don't know Jesus. We play on sports teams with people who don't know Jesus. What would it be like if we took advantage of this fact and oriented our lives, oriented where we ate, where we played, where we lived, where we worked around the idea of making disciples of all nations? The nations have come to us. Let us take advantage. Second, we recognize that we are a part of the nations. We are a part of the nations. What we do here every single Sunday at Grace is a part of the Great Commission. When we gather in Grace groups and we seek to disciple one another, we participate in the Great Commission, in the mission of God. Anytime, whether it be in Grace group, whether it be at home, over the phone, in text, uh, having coffee, whether it be far off or locally, anytime that we seek to help one another pick up our crosses and follow Christ, we are participating in the mission of God, in the Great Commission. Let us not forget that this big commission is often lived out in the day-to-day, nitty-gritty, getting into each other's lives. Let us intentionally and regularly give ourselves to one another that we might make disciples of all nations. Third, adopt a grace partner. Adopt a grace partner. I love this. What would it look like for our church to come alongside our grace partners in such a way where all of their financial needs are met, where they are never hurting for prayer, where they're never hurting for friendship? What would it look like to make sure that all of the needs that it's possible for us to take care of are met for our partners? I talked to a friend recently who's serving in a cross-cultural context and he shared with me how difficult it was for him and his family to get a reliable car recently. And he was telling me how it was this incredible story of God miraculously providing a car. And, and on one hand, I was so grateful that the Lord would miraculously provide my friend a safe vehicle to drive his children and his wife around with. It, but on the other hand, my heart broke that this, my friend, drove for months and months and months and waited patiently for the Lord to provide when people in our world could have paid for this car in five minutes and made sure that he had a safe vehicle to drive around so that his needs would have practically been met. 
It's great that my friend received the grace of God and saw his faithfulness by waiting and the Lord miraculously providing. But we need to be a people who remember that the normative ways that God seeks to provide for his people is through the church. And so let us be a people who seek to take care of ours, who make sure that their needs are met. I would love it if we as individuals, as grace groups and as a church would come alongside and adopt particular people have them over to our house while they're here over the course of the summer, Uh, pray for them, correspond with them regularly. Let us make sure that our partner's needs are met. The reality is there are so many ways we might participate in the Great Commission. So many ways that a lifestyle of the Great Commission might be fostered inside of us. I would encourage you, please go and check out the patio uh, in between services. So many of our partners have gathered. There are so many tables that will give you good practical uh, ways that you might pray for the nations and pray for our partners, that you might give unto missions, that you might participate in short-term mission trips, that you might read about missionaries. There's so many things that you can do, practical ways you might participate. So please take advantage outside. Finally, let's move now and consider what benefits we receive when we faithfully participate, when we are moved by God's glory and we are compelled to participate in the mission of God. What does the Lord do in us? So much. This is our third point. We devote ourselves to great commission living because God uses our participation to deepen our dependence on him. God uses our participation to deepen our dependence on him. Verse 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here we move to the promise of the Great Commission. Verse 20, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God's commission to his church begins with God. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. It begins with God and it ends with God. There's a sandwich here. There's a book ending here. The emphasis is clearly on God. Not only does the church go with the authority of Christ, but it goes with the presence of Christ. We see the realization of this promise actually fulfilled just in the first couple chapters of Acts where the Spirit pours out on the church and they go and they boldly proclaim and make disciples. I'd like for us to focus our attention here on the gift and the blessing promised within the Great Commission though. Not only is God gracious in giving us his mission, but he gives us his very own self. He gives us his presence And he does this to enable missions. This is a blessing from God. It is a profound blessing from God. This is the grace of God communicated to us. In fact, this is truly the good news of the gospel. We do not get the penalty of our sins. Instead, we get God himself to enjoy and know forever. And it's true, it's 100% true that every believer, every single person who has been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, every person among that number has received the Spirit, is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. However, it has long been testified that those who participate in the Great Commission, they are people who, dis- who depend on the Spirit, are forced to depend on the Spirit, and therefore experience the Spirit in a special, meaningful, present sort of way. And this is the grace of God. I experienced this just this past week. Many of you know that that our student ministry, um, 
about 40 people, students and parents and myself from the student ministry went to Mexico for a short-term mission trip, about a week-long mission trip. And as great of a trip as that was, there were difficult parts. The drive down to Mexico was difficult. It was not fun. Usually, uh, getting into Mexico is the easy part. It's not supposed to be hard. Getting back is the easy or is the hard part. Not this time. Uh, our group, three vans and a truck, the Big Grace food bank truck, we rumbled down to Mexico, got to the border, and we were delivered a hard no, you cannot come into Mexico. Your truck's too big, sorry, turn around. And I said, well, what's the problem? They said, your truck, your truck is a commercial truck. Uh, and we, this is a tourist entrance. Oh, no, 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 we're tourists. It's filled with bags and food. Here's all the paperwork. Nope, you can't come in. Hard no, turn around. So we went back and forth for about an hour. About the time we thought that they were going to let us through, uh, we kind of had the, the hood pulled up over us and they took us back and, and funneled us back into the United States. Not before one of our vans broke away and illegally entered into Mexico, Craig Lamascus. <clears throat> so, yeah, one of our vans. Uh, Legally entered. But the rest of us, two vans and a truck, uh, we, we were taken back to the United States and we did not know what to do. And so we went to the next, uh, the next border crossing down where we, where we heard that you can, uh, bigger trucks could get through the border. And we got there only to find out that the border was closed. Uh, we, we were too late. It was closed. And once again, we, we received a hard no, you can't come through. And about this time, I like to think that I was cool, calm, and collected and setting an example of faith for our students. But I know deep down inside, I was despairing. I was uh, in turmoil. I was raging. I was fighting my, my mind in so many different ways. I felt like the trip was going to be ruined, that ministry wasn't going to happen, that we weren't going to be able to partner with this church that we so love. It was just all up in the air. And so I and our entire group were moved to prayer, to earnest prayer. Lord, please make a way. Please make a way. I got out of the van, went and found the most important looking person I could find and pleaded with them, let us through. Let us through. And this went on for about three hours. And we earnestly prayed. We earnestly prayed. Eventually, the official that I was talking with tried to bribe us or tried to uh, have us bribe him. It was a mess, we, but we sought the Lord and we sought the Spirit's help. We prayed. We said, no, we're not going to bribe you. And eventually, they relented and they let us through and we made it to Mexico. We made it to uh, this base that we went to to participate in missions. And in the midst of this, God could have said no. He would have been just and good and faithful, even if he didn't let us into Mexico. But he did. He responded to our prayers. And in the midst of that, so many of us were moved to greater dependence on the Lord because we had no other hope besides his grace in letting us through. And as we depended on him, as we hoped in him, he was faithful. And the thing is, is if we were at home, if we were watching TV, we would have never experienced that. But through seeking as imperfectly as we did to participate in Great Commission living, we were able to experience the Spirit in a meaningful, present, incredible sort of way. 
This is what God does. This is just one way that he grows us through participation in the Great Commission. Once again, the Grace Partners have provided us a few more ways that we might grow. Here are a few of them. When we participate in the Great Commission, when we seek to foster a Great Commission lifestyle, we see and develop the heart of God. We see and develop the heart of God. In missions, we see what God cares about. We see that God is jealous for people. He desires that no one would perish, but all would come to everlasting life, that all would be worshipers of his holy name. And we can see that right here in our passage. The the Great Commission is not just more information uh, that Jesus is trying to pass along. It's not him hugging his, his followers and his disciples and saying, I'll see you guys later. No, it is him coming and giving one last message. And he commissions, he commands his disciples to go for he is jealous for the nations. God's heart for the lost, the hurting and the broken, his heart is seen in missions. Not only that, but God's willingness to gloriously save and sanctify reveals his heart even more clearly. And as one author said, it only takes so long for us to dig our roots deep down in this before our branches start to spread out and seek to bless others as well. It only takes seeing God's heart for so long before we begin to develop his heart for ourselves. We see and develop the heart of God. Second, we see the power of the gospel. We see the power of the gospel. The expectation implicit in the Great Commission is that The gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. If you preach the gospel, if you proclaim boldly the gospel of grace, you will make disciples. You will see conversion. Many of us have a faith problem. We are unwilling to truly believe the words of scripture. And I am chief among the people who do this. And so we do not go and preach the gospel. We fail to believe that God could actually save our friends, our family, the people who exist in this world. But in missions, we hear stories, we read stories, we pray for salvation, and we see salvation occur locally and far off in this fuels, bold, uh, spirit-empowered proclamation that people might believe in Jesus. We see the power of the gospel. Last We develop a gospel perspective, a gospel perspective. When we participate in the Great Commission, we participate in the main thing that is happening in this world. The main thing that is happening in this world has nothing to do with the Olympics or politics. No, the main thing that is happening in this world is the main thing that has always been happening. God is redeeming and reconciling a people to himself Uh, to live with him forever and to worship him forever. And he's doing this through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we seek to make disciples of all nations, we get this and we begin to see the world rightly. We see things through spiritual or gospel eyes and no longer do the simple things of this world bug us like they used to. Small things become less annoying. We no longer see people as issues or enemies or problems or distractions. No longer do we functionally believe that this life is all that there is. Our refrain becomes... For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In Hudson Taylor's autobiography, he tells a story of a man named Peter. Peter is a man that he preached the gospel to on a boat. And 
he turned away and he looked back and he noticed that Peter had fallen overboard and he wasn't coming up. So, so Taylor dove in the water after this man, Peter, and he couldn't find him. And, and so he looked around and he noticed there were fishermen nearby and he said, please come help. A man is drowning. And he screamed for them. He begged for them to come. And they said, it's not convenient. We're fishing. And so, so Taylor pleaded, you don't understand. A man is dying. He's drowning. And they said, well, how much will you pay us? Pay you anything. Five dollars. What? Just come. Well, we'll do it for 20. Whatever. A man is dying. Come. So they lazily rowed over to the spot where Taylor was looking for Peter. They put their equipment in, pulled him up fairly quickly, only to find that he had already drowned and died. This event had a profound spiritual impact on Taylor, and I think it should on us as well. My friends, my brothers, my sisters, will we be a people, a church that consumes ourselves with convenience, with fishing, to the detriment of our of the people who live in this world, people who are perishing apart from knowledge of Christ? Or will we, in light of the gospel and in joyful obedience, give ourselves to the mission of God? There is only one answer to this. We go with the authority of Christ at our back. We go with the presence of Christ and we go in the power of the gospel and we make disciples of all nations. Let's pray. Father, We praise your holy name that you are a good God, a good God that saves sinners like us, Lord. And a good God that saves sinners like us, not simply so that we would live in comfort uh, in our lives just like we did before, but you save us to participate in your holy mission. A mission to seek and save the lost. A mission to make disciples of all nations, Lord. That we might know and enjoy you. That we might celebrate you and worship you forever. Lord, help us. Stir up a passion for your name's sake amongst the nations, Lord. Lord, would you help us? Would you practically guide us that we might participate well, that we might foster a Great Commission lifestyle? We need you, Lord, help us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.